We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, Bears fans. Let's go to work. Steve Rosenblum. It's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Yeah, well, Bears fans, go to work. Uh, maybe a work release program. That seems to be what the voice you heard, Ryan Poles, GM, is assembling here. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. We're going to discuss the Bears now. We're going to the Score Hotline. Guests, join us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And my guest... Back again because he's lovely and talented and wonderful. Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times. Mark, how you doing? Uh, and available. And available. Sure, he's available. That's it. And and a man who helps create revenue streams. You may not have realized it last night but or earlier. I just love what your idea. We will talk about your baseball idea first, and we will come up with some revenue streams. But first... On the 4th of July, wide receiver David Moore, Bears wide receiver David Moore, was arrested on drug and weapon charges. Hello! He's the third criminal the Bears have signed. That was Ryan Poles' signing. Bears' new, new GM loves himself some criminals, doesn't he? Has Ryan Poles commented on this or any of the arrests of the men that he has signed? He did uh, He did comment on, on the Pringle, Byron Pringle uh, arrest. And, of course, he knew him from Kansas City and vouched for his character. Pringle since had a really shaky uh, press conference when he was asked about it, so that was not a great sign. Um, but the others have been so recent uh, that, uh, that all they've done is acknowledge that, uh, uh, that they are aware of the arrest, and that's it. So that's where we stand. Does – this is – to me it's disturbing when you see them one pop up after another. You're signing – criminals we want to i don't know what this is supposed to tell you about the bears am i supposed to read something into this is this i guess if you were being charitable you say this is just a run of bad luck if you were being critical like i see this as a rookie gm doing a horrible job of character assessment and that goes for him and his entire staff and to me this ties into to the firing of of soup campbell the director of player engagement, did he get fired because he was supposed to wrangle the criminals Ryan Poles was signing? I'm trying to tie all this together. Maybe I shouldn't. What do you think, Mark? Well, that's another thing we need to find out, I guess, or need to ask uh, when training camp uh, ensues. 
um, is, you know, if there was a, what the connection was there and what the responsibilities are of that player. But I'll be honest, Steve, I really don't have, I don't have that same take as you on that. I don't paint with the broad brush of calling of all criminality. Um, to be honest, in, in the context of sports and the tolerance that teams have for things like this, this does not go over the line, frankly, of the sexual assault, domestic violence, you know, trying to become a drug kingpin like Sam Hurd type of offenses. And frankly, these are just within the realm of what a team like the Kansas City Chiefs have done um, with Frank Clark and, and, and with Ty, uh, Tyreek Hill and, um, and have built a Super Bowl team and won it and gone on their merry way. And I think the Bears are just right now with these three, if you look at the individual situations and what the arrests are actually for, uh, this falls into uh, what I think teams would consider um, a- an acceptable. If I know it's a bad way to put it, but that's this is the way sports is that they will accept this based on the return they get in performance. So if it's somebody who doesn't perform, these are two of these uh, at least these are. Well, I can't say fringe guys. David Moore's probably a fringe guy. You know, they, his leash is shorter. Byron Pringle's going to be on the team. Matt Adams, I, I assume, will also be on the team based on what we you know, know about the history of these types of things. So I'll be honest. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm. Uh, uh, my head is not spinning. I'm not blowing up over this. I don't think it's. I think they're going to. I think they're going to address it. But I don't think they're going to. Uh, this is. I don't think this uh, taints the Bears and pulls as much as you think at this point. Now. We'll, you know, we'll see what the future uh, holds, but right now, based on that, and relative, like I said, relative to the criminality we've seen in the NFL, this is, I, I dare I say, mild. I, I, you're right. I, I'm not arguing that. I, it, just that the fact that it keeps, it spiked the way it has, and and tied in with other missteps that the rookie GM has made, and I may be making a big blanket. Uh, assessment of them, but I didn't want to see a rookie GM make rookie mistakes. And there was the the Ogan Joby, the Ryan Bates, the where are you on this? And yet I thought, okay, it flattened out. It, and, and it may be on the rise when he took two defensive players. They were the best on the board. I love the idea of the positions he took, the reasons he took those players. And I thought that was... That was trending well. That's a team that if these guys get takeaways, then it, it, even an offense that isn't, isn't, hasn't been addressed the way it needs to be addressed can be put in position to play better. I'm all in favor of that. And then all of a sudden, the new guys that he signed are, wait, are they going to be able to post bail? Why are they? Why is it this way? And then, you, like you said, Pringles, Pringle had a really a bad-looking, bad image bad take on the on the press conference so I guess I'm looking at it as a rookie GM making rookie mistakes and he's got a rookie head coach and I want to I want to think that it could be a little more positive so it disturbs me that this could be a distraction and I don't think this is an organization in any way talented enough to have distractions or do you think it won't be a distraction they're they're going to move past this by the time yeah I, I don't think it will there. be a distraction he's had a couple things the firing of soup campbell that that is uh curious the timing of it all that but again that's something something that has that great of an effect to us anyway uh in the locker room that remains to be seen but they don't have the type of locker room where something like that <clears throat> you know 
you can't really lose a locker room where you don't have that much status. You know, it's not like Matt Forte and and uh, Brian Urlacher and Lance Briggs are in this locker room. Your, your highest stature guy is like Roquan Smith. You know, so even so, even that situation, you know, the Soup Campbell firing, it's cured. The ti- timing is curious, and what precipitated that is obviously a good question. But uh, you know, Larry Ogunjobi signing or agreeing to hit, to sign him, and then not being able to sign him. Uh, again, that's not a great look, but um, you know I don't know what homework they are expected to do or supposed to do. To be honest, uh, to find out exactly if that could have been avoided, I don't know. But I, I'll be honest, Steve, and I, I, I'm, I'm usually as cynical as you are, but I, I see in the big picture, I'm still bullish on on Ryan Poles, and I like. I think there are more signs. I think there are more signs that if he has success, he will be able to sustain it more than previous general managers, just based on what I've seen. And if you think about it, most coaches and GMs, the Bears have had success early and then fade out as they kind of get enveloped by Hallis Hall dysfunction. So a guy who makes his mistakes early and learns from him, I think that guy actually has a better chance to succeed. And, and maybe that's you know, seeing it through Bears colored glasses, I guess you could criticize me for. But I just think of looking at the big picture, having seen all of these regimes over the last 25, 30 years, this to me is not as disconcerting. Uh, this is not as disconcerting to me as it is to other critics of the Bears. I, I, I can see that. And we've seen that, that having success, if you're Matt Nagy and then you're all of a sudden a steep decline, I'd rather have it the other way. I'd rather have it all, everything pointing up and progress being made so that there's a threat of sustained success. I'd rather see that. Now, whether that, when that starts, I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows. You have, would you have any idea? Would you have a, do you have a feeling of when, when you'd feel, when you'd feel good, when you'd feel confident, when you'd feel that there's a, there's an adult in the room? Well, there's one thing we have to see this year, and that's the development of the quarterback and the offense. I think that's the key for 2022. And then if that happens, they are set up to be contenders for the playoffs in 2023 with the cap space they'll have, with the second-year players that should also develop, the second- and third-year players that he inherited that should develop. You can't. This is not a Blackhawks uh, type of rebuild. Um, I think it would help if they got a top-five pick out of this year. I think that is a key to uh, uh, to success when you are rebuilding. So I think they have to have the right kind of losing year where they lose games and they still develop their quarterback. And then next year is when, to me, next year is when the clock starts on Ryan Poles because he has cleared the way. He has done something that no other GM has done. He's gotten He's got a fresh new franchise quarterback to develop. He has very little uh, inherited talent uh, that, except for Robert Quinn, that is kind of uh, that he has to work around. Like you know, I think I think Pace had Jared Allen. I think it was in 2015. You know that kind of thing. He has a clear. You know, this is scorched earth as, uh, relative to other rebuilds, and he has a clear path to next year. And I think Bears fans will will be fine with that because I think it's pretty clear with the exception of him just not being able to say the word rebuild, I think it's clear where he's headed. And, <laughs> and so next, so like I said, to, to answer your question in a long-winded way, the clock starts uh, on, on Ryan Poles next year unless the quarterback blows up on him this year and the offense does. And then, then you've got a bigger problem. My guest is Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times, covers the Bears, and also, also watches baseball. Mark, I think you, whether you knew it or not, 
your tweet the other night sparked me to think that you're creating a revenue stream. So let me go over this with you. Let me share with our class. Share with I have class no idea first. what you're talking about. Let me just say I, that right off the bat. I, I know, I know. And I, I so I'm going to read, read to you and the class a Mark Potash tweet. You can follow him on Twitter, and I, I advise you to, at Mark Potash. I'm all for the robot umps. Just so the announcers will stop criticizing every borderline pitch that doesn't go their way. I'd rather hear another in-game sponsor read than that. And I'm thinking, Mark, you're brilliant. You're magic. You're, the Sox, for instance, are missing a revenue stream. Another missed call, but you'll never miss a call with T-Mobile's new call alert with speakers that go to 11. They're missing a sponsorship of blown calls. I don't know if you thought of this, but I wanted yep. to share it with you. If you wanted to go after a way to create a sponsorship for blown calls, because indeed announcers do their fair share of whining about pitches outside or inside or on the on the 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 rectangle lines of that box. Well, I, you know, I hadn't thought of it, but now that now that you're bringing it up, you know, they could get like the Zenny account. They're, they're the eyeglass people. For the actual, <laughs> that would that would actually, I think that would be a, a a good connection. But yeah, there is. I guess I guess you could say that. But you know, if they sponsor the the uh, the, the 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 bad calls, that would be just as that wouldn't be helping the situation. I just you know, yeah, I root for the Sox. I like to see them win, and I like their announcing team. But man, I, they just uh, they are just obsessed with the box. And I don't even know. Does anyone know who sets the box on the TV screen when you see it? Because the pitches, they, they, I don't know, I just don't get that. I, I don't get that whole thing. I just, I, I guess what I'm saying, I want it to stop. I don't think I'm alone in this. I just want it to stop. And so I'm an old school guy, but, yeah, I will totally go for the, uh, for the robot umps just to eliminate that because um, it's just, uh, it's, it's just, I guess I'm easily annoyed at my age. I, I have to, I'm guilty as charged on that. Well, I'm all, well, welcome to the Cranky Club. I'm I'm happy to have a new member. I'm in favor. Of it. I love this idea. They should sponsor it. You're right. You shouldn't you shouldn't try to encourage this kind of whining, but they're going to do it anyways. There's no way to avoid it as long as there are human umps. At least the robot umps, you know, the strike zone is going to be set, and it's going to be a little lower and probably a little wider, and everybody will have problems with it. But you might as well try to make some money off it in the meantime. I think you yeah, need to I, do something yeah, to, you're to, probably to right copyright about it, but your idea. All, let me say this also, Steve. The high str- Steve Stone should know this. Umps have not been calling the high strike since I was in high school, and I'm 63 years old. I mean, that pitch that looks that, that is actually on the box on the top line of the box and is technically a strike in the it, he, in in the real world. I mean, you've watched baseball for many years. I mean, that has not been a strike since the 60s, I think. And, and so to complain about that, I mean, just. Uh, the complaint should be, let's get the robot umps. Just stop complaining about the actual umpires, because they're basically as no worse or better, I guess, than they've been for years and years. We just have this box, this you know, whatever you call it, um, that may, that shows them where the shows where the so-called mistakes are. So anyway, I guess that's my point: is that all the borderline calls are borderline calls. With human umps, they're gonna, they're gonna, I don't even consider those misses. You know, swing the bat. There you go. This borderline call brought to you by the U.S. Border Patrol. There you See? go. There's all there kinds. Go. There's all kinds of sponsorships available. Mark, you're a genius. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. <laughs> you too, Mark Potash of uh, the Chicago Sun Times, talking Bears, and 
and talk. See the money-making opportunity. Brooks Boyer, get that on there, buddy. NBC Sports Chicago, get that on there. Get that. Get those blown calls. Miss calls. Yeah, you'll never miss another call again with our phone call alert. Okay, the um, we'll take a break. Later this hour, we'll talk Bulls Summer League with someone who's out at the Bulls Summer League. We'll find out about Dale and Terry and what all went on when they made their debut, that Bulls Summer League team. But first, but first, it's been a really tough run for the mob, a really tough run for actors who portray mob figures. So we're going to take a look at that, someone who played a legendary mobster and a bear after whom there was an award named and one of the greatest movies of all time. So we'll talk about James Caan after this. Steve Rosenblum, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Steve Rosenblum, it's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. This is a story about two men. They competed for the same job. One was white, the other black. (laughs) One liked to talk a lot. You said, "Uh uh-huh. The other was shy as a Mm three-year-old. Rookies got to stick together. Our story is about how they came to know each other, fight each other. I'm going to whip you, Sayers, but you got to be at your best. And help each other. I think I, I owe you a beer. I owe you a lot more than that. The, the, um, James Kahn is like legendarily, he was Sonny. He was Sonny Corleone. But in Chicago, it had, it, he resounds as Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo was the player to whom there's still a Brian Piccolo, the Bears hand out a Brian Piccolo award. They remember him. And the story, the story was, um, as, as the trailer said, two guy, two running backs competing for the same job, one white, one black, and roommates. There's a, a wonderful, it shows a wonderful acting of James Caan and Billy D. Williams, who portrayed Gail Sayers in, in the dorm room during training camp, if I have this right. It's been a while since I've seen it because I choose not to cry. But the, the Brian Piccolo role by James Kahn, he's reading a letter filled with racist hatred. Basically, how could you as a white man live with... And it just goes on and on, and it's mean and and horrible and racist and depraved and sick. And he's, James Conn step, stops reading and Gail Sayers says, anything else? And, Brian, and then Brian Piccolo says, yeah, just the usual love and kisses, mom. And it, it was a, it's a wonderful moment there, a great bit of screenwriting. And the passing of Gail Sayers two years ago, a little less than two years ago, brought um, more different attention on a, that relationship. And the Boston Globe had contacted James Kahn, talking about that relation, the real relationship, and then the one he had with Billy D. Williams playing, playing Gail Sayers. And in the, the story, James Kahn told the Globe, He was a blessing to the planet Earth. Everybody cries when they see it. I cry every time I see it. 
Khan went on, I grew up with a really with really strong relationships, and my friends were real, and my friends still are. Friends were the only things we had, and their relationship was pretty genuine and pretty great. He's talking in, in the in the about. Brian Piccolo and Gil Sayers. By the way, I didn't know this till I read this story. It was this is from Touchdown Wire, USA Today. Billy D. Williams wonderfully gives the most wonderful speech in a football movie. Arguably, I love Brian Piccolo. I want you to love him too. And all the tears are flowing. Then Billy D. Williams almost didn't have the role of Gail Sayers. In fact, he didn't. The original casting for that movie was Louis Gossett Jr. You might remember him from uh, Officer and a Gentleman. Louis Gossett Jr. tore his Achilles before filming, and Billy Dee Williams was given the role and given such star treatment. Lando Calrissian as Gail Sayers. And it was that's that's James Caan, and he he was a such had such a fascinating career James Caan did when you're talking about Brian Piccolo and more famously Sonny Corleone and more imaginatively being held cap- captive by Kathy Bates and, as an author in Stephen King's Misery and he's chained to a bed. And he's he was wonderful, and and he was a great follow on Twitter. I don't know how many of you might have followed James Con. He had a Twitter. Somebody was somebody was writing it. And most recently, he had tweeted, or somebody on his account tweeted, "Before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you do criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes." End of tweet. Also, don't go through toll booths. And the um, the other recent treat, tweet from James Kahn from his Twitter account was um, a picture. If you remember in Godfather 2, uh, Godfather, when Salazzo comes to meet in the offices and there's, there's um, all of the, all of Don Vito Corleone's group, his, his oldest son, Santino and Fredo and Tom Hagen and and Fat Clemenza and and they're all meeting with Salazzo and he wants to he wants to convince the Don to get a part of the drug business and James Kahn tweeted that picture and just with the caption squad goals I love that I love it. I know I am I have a story but I did not I can't remember how old I was but it was many years after. Sonny got blown up at the toll booth that I was that I found out that James Kahn was Jewish. I mean he's he's Sonny Corleone with a famous Italian temper and bada bing bada boom a little college boy gets smacked around and now you want to shoot or you want to kill a New York police captain. Don't take it so poisonally. Well, it turns out Sonny Corleone was Jewish. And I had heard this story later on when he was, when James Caan was in the movie, in the television show Las Vegas. So he's the, the, the patriarch of that casino-owning family, Josh Demel, and I can't remember who, was, who played the female lead. But 
Of course, in, 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 you're filming in Las Vegas. It's called Las Vegas. You have all manner of the casino. So eventually they did a poker scene or episode that featured poker players and real poker players. And one of them, and I was writing a poker, a syndicated poker column at the time, and I was writing for ESPN. And so I had a wonderful relationship with a lot of the poker players, and one of whom was Howard Letterer, who is half Jewish. And Howard Letter and Eric Lindgren, I want to say, were among the actors or among the poker players on this episode. And the full tilt site that they were a part of also featured Mike Mattisau. You may or may not remember Mike Mattisau. He was explosive. He could go nuts on you. He had a famous scene in 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 Greg Raymer's winning the the world championship, the, the, the main event, the bracelet for the main event, and Mike Matisau could go, go off at any time. He famously went off in the at the final table. When he went to the final table in the year Joe Hatcham won, when he had the chip lead and his Kings lost to Aces, and it was just bonkers. He just went nuts. And Mike Matisau was Jewish, and Mike Matisau would, would wear a gold mezuzah high hang or a high hanging around his neck and my mom who never played poker but understood gambling would call me and tell me he said i i i don't want him wearing the mezuzah i don't like that he's acting the way he's acting and i thought this is just a, a you know my jewish mother doing what she does so it turns on on the set of las vegas they film these scenes, and then James Kahn calls over Howard Letterer. He said, Howard, tell your boy Mattisau the tribe is not happy with him. I love that story. James Kahn, as real as it gets. And a sad day for Spartans. He was in Michigan State. He was there at Michigan State. He's a Spartan and supported them, would show up for the MSU Michigan games. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful career and a tough day for the mob. Did you like him in Elf, Steve? He was good in Elf as well. Uh, Elf, I did not see. Yeah, he was really funny. I I think, uh, honestly, uh, for a lot of younger uh, movie watchers, that was really their introduction to him. They really didn't know who he was uh, until Elf. So I think for a lot of younger people, they really got to know him through the movie Elf. Really? I hadn't thought of that. That was such a... I, I didn't see it. I knew it was a, a Will Ferrell creation thing, starring a role, all that kind of stuff. Who was James Caan? What was his role in that? He played uh, Will Ferrell's character, who was Elf. Uh, it was his father that he did not know. Uh, James Caan did not know that he had a son who wound up being the Elf, Will Ferrell, coming down from the North Pole. So... Uh, you can imagine it. It was pretty, pretty funny parts involving oh. him. Merriment and hijinks ensue. Okay, all right. Well, I, I, what was your introduction to James Con? Was it Elf? Was that, is that how you figured out who he was? You didn't know he was Sunny at the toll booth? Oh no, I, I'm a big gangster movie guy. I've seen Godfather about a hundred times, right? So I know, I, I knew him since then for sure. Okay, bada bing, bada boom. Well, we got other gangsters to talk about later. 
in the meantime, we're going to go back to Las Vegas. We're going to talk some Bulls Summer League with Matt Peck of CHGO. Or how are we pronouncing that? I, I don't know. I, I, CHGO. I, CHGO. Not CHGO. CHGO. That's what we're saying. That's the way it is, huh? Okay. That's what we're going to do. Thank you, Caesar. We're going to talk some Bulls, Bulls Summer League. Dale and Terry showed up, and Marco Simonovic showed up, and we'll see what they showed. Next on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Yeah, like I said before, I feel great, you know, and I think I, I feel more comfortable than, than last year, and I think I made some improvements from the, from the, from the beginning, you know, of the, of the last year, and... Um, just keep going, just keep working and keep winning. Steve Rosenblum, it's Saturday Suckage on 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Welcome in, welcome back. Marco Simonovic talking about Summer League, talking about the Bulls, where he is, with whom he's playing. We are Saturday Suckage on The Score. We are going to go to the guest hotline. Our guests are brought to you on The Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. We welcome to the show from CHGO, Matt Peck. Matt, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing good. We were just talking about Sonny Corleone and James Caan playing in Las Vegas, and now the Bulls are playing in Las Vegas. So, they played, they started, share with the class what happened and what you thought. Well, the Bulls got down big in the first half, mostly because they couldn't hit a three. Um, and uh, they responded. They, they came out in the second half with a little bit more energy, and, and they picked things up on the defensive end. Marco Simonovic was clearly the front runner uh, who bounced back of a, me, you know, a mediocre first half. He had a, a, a few quick buckets right out of the gate and then was quiet, and then just kind of took over down the stretch, had a, several big plays that uh, helped the Bulls bring it back and force overtime, and then two really big winning plays in overtime to secure the victory for the Bulls. Uh, Bulls fans are excited about what this might mean for a guy who came over, from overseas as a draft and stats last year and pretty much spent the entire season with Windy City. Um, and, uh, you know, everyone's wondering now if any of these summer league performances might indicate if he's ready to actually get into Billy Donovan's rotation this season. So it's just one summer league game, right? That's what you always have to say. <laughs> Right, yeah, that was the Casey Johnson has it on a uh, save Getty has it on a function key where you automatically it's like cut and paste. He's got it saved. Right. <laughs> it's only summer league, but and then you go from there. So the fact that he says he feels more comfortable and 27 points and 12 rebounds would suggest that he certainly felt comfortable last night is a is a good sign. Now. Is there any threat he can block a shot, protect the rim, dissuade an opponent from getting near the backboard? Well, he did get credited with three blocks in their game yesterday, so you like to see wait, that. Wait, 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 Matt. Get credited? <laughs> did he actually block them or not? What is this get I mean, credited? I, I definitely saw at least two of them. I don't remember the third, but yeah, he, he was able to block a few shots yesterday. I mean, the encouraging thing is, as uh, we've seen, and he spoke about it in one of their practices leading up to Summer League, is that he uh, he put in work in the weight room since coming over uh, and playing with Windy City last season. He's up from 215 to 240. You notice the difference in his build, and there's certainly still questions about his ability to be uh, a real rim protector at the NBA level and not just Summer League or, or G League, but 
the the way that you saw him finishing through contact and playing with his body offensively in yesterday's game gives you a little bit of optimism that he can actually maybe be a rim, rim protector at some point. Because, you know, one of the biggest plays of the game was an and one where he absorbed the contact and finished strong. So there's definitely more muscle on his frame. Now, you know, footwork on the defensive end still remains a big question mark. My guest is Matt Peck from CHGO. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Bulls underscore Peck. And we're talking about the Bulls' summer league debut, and they spent their first-round pick, Dale and Terry. What did you see? What did you think? What's good? What's bad? Well, the first thing you notice is activity uh, and his voice on the defensive end. That's the first thing that their summer league coach, John Bryant, mentioned when he was asked about his first impressions of Dale and Terry in practice this past week. And you saw it in their first game. Uh, he's got active hands. He's, he's already pretty good at fighting through and over screens. Um, he had a, a few solid defensive possessions. Offensively, uh, there's still plenty of work to do. Um, his, his handle needs a lot of work. He actually had six turnovers yesterday. Um, you know, you like to see that because it means he was trying to be aggressive, and he did have some beautiful assists. I think he finished with six dimes, and some of them were, you know, gorgeous Lonzo Ball-esque kind of passes uh, displaying his court vision. So the handle needs to get a little bit better. He probably needs to uh, add a little bit of strength because the combination of his loose handles and his lack of strength kind of caused a lot of those turnovers where he was just pushing too hard and had nowhere to go, couldn't beat his man off the dribble. Um, but a lot of those intangibles are there, the, the length of the activity on the defensive end and, and what he can do uh, using his court vision on the offensive end. One of the things a guy like that, that kind of energy, that kind of production can, um, can spark – a rest of a lineup doing that or in summer league when you're all trying to make a name for yourself you might see guys standing around you might see guys getting a little grumpy because wow he's hogging the ball he's hogging the spotlight when do we get to play and I think John Bryant's got a that's an interesting balance I don't know if he's talked about that but but the idea of what Dalen Terry brings to this team and then what he'll bring to the adults when the Bulls play how do you think that plays out that's a great question. One of the other things that John Bryant said when he was giving his first impressions of Dale and Terry is that he, out of the gate, is the type of player who was doing things in their practice scrimmages not to showcase his own talents, but to help his teammates and to make his teammates look good. Uh, and for a rookie who came in, you know, middle of the first round, plenty to prove, drafted to a big market team that went to the playoffs last year and is trying to take another step, as, as you said, there are plenty of players in this league and making their way into this league who would use summer league as an opportunity to showcase what they can do. Uh, Dale and Terry through the first week of summer league practice and in yesterday's game was all about helping his teammates and making them better. Uh, and, and I think that's a quality that the John Bryant and AK and Eversley all really love about this guy. I love the fact that he's so quotable and so real and, so guileless because there just doesn't seem to be a filter there. And they going back to draft night or shortly thereafter, when he was talking about improving his shooting and he likened his growth to building a player, building up a player, shaping a player in NBA 2K. So he, <laughs> he wants to go from being a 75 to a 99 and says, I'm good at some things, but I'm not great at nothing. I'm trying to get great at everything. I, I love that. I love him. I don't know what he had to say, what you were able to get last night after 
his summer league debut. But I'm interested to know. I want to hear this continue. What did you? What did he have to say? Or how was he last night? Yeah, I mean the the, the 2K comparison is funny, and that's always the bottom line, right? It's only uh, NBA player skills are only real if NBA 2K recognizes them. <laughs> but uh, I mean, truly, I I think that that's what AK and Eversley and, and Billy Donovan saw in in Terry is that he's already going to come into the NBA level being good at a lot of things, as opposed to you know maybe somebody who's a pure scorer who needs a lot of work in every other element of his game. And that's, I mean, you saw it from him yesterday. He did a little bit of everything. He rebounded. He, he passed the ball. Uh, you know, a, a very modest three for seven uh, shooting from the floor. But, again, that was because he's coming into this with an approach of, I want to be a guy who, who gets my teammates' looks, and, you know, I'll take my looks when they're there. But uh, it very much sounds like, for him, it's, it's about defense and it's about team ball on the offensive end. And uh, AK and Eversley seem to have uh, a liking for guys who are – just sort of all over the floor players as, as the NBA continues to transition into, you know, quote unquote, positionless basketball, this guy with several other players on the Bulls roster, whether you're talking Lonzo, Alex Caruso can play multiple positions. And Dalen Terry looks like a guy who can be very good at multiple positions in the NBA. My guest is Matt Peck of CHGO. We're talking Bulls basketball, Bulls summer league. So Simonovich and Terry were the easy the easy places to start with, and I know it's only one game, and I know it's only summer league, and I know <laughs> everybody wants to get back to the tables and their free drinks and everything else. But who else? Who else should we? Should Bulls fans keep an eye on? What names can they expect to hear on a regular basis based on what you saw last night? Well, if there's a third name uh, that people are focusing on this week in summer league, it's definitely uh, uh, just. Uh, the uh, the Marquette product, um, Justin, who had uh, a very very solid game yesterday. People are wondering if he can be uh, a, a solid four in the NBA, kind of as a six seven guy who's got a lot of muscle. Um, uh, he's he's willing to take shots. He didn't knock down either of his three point attempts uh, yesterday, but there's uh, there's one incredible defensive possession he had uh, where he just sized up uh, Jaden Hardy one on one, and Hardy was getting buckets all through that game. I think he finished with 28, but uh, Lewis was able to D him up uh, a few times uh, throughout the course of the game. So he, he got signed to one of the Bulls' two-way contracts, so maybe you'll see him splitting time with Windy City. Maybe he'll get called up at some point this next season if the Bulls find themselves shorthanded as they did last season. But for a just sort of a flyer on an undrafted free agent who had a really strong second season at Marquette, um, there's, there's a, a lot to like about him. Before I let you go, Matt, I, I appreciate your your live report actually being alive in Las Vegas today. So that's a it's quite the accomplishment. Thank you. And the the question about the team, the real Chicago Bulls, and it would appear two things seem to be. You can disabuse me of this, or you can explain it to me. Arturus Karnishovas, Karnishovas, however you like, preaches continuity because he's out of ideas, out of money, out of draft capital. And he's filled only with the hope that Lonzo Ball can stay healthy. That appears to be where they are. Without That roster is not going to change dramatically. It apparently can't at this point. Whatever middle-level exemption there's going to be or they're going to pay if they decide to go that route, that, could, that, that isn't going to alter the face of it much. So what you saw 
them running it back is simply a default setting. Is it not? Or is there something more? Is there, am I missing something here? I, I don't think you're missing anything. That's certainly what it looks like right now. And you know, if Bulls fans took uh, Arturis at his word when he was uh, you know, fielding questions and talking to media as the Bulls were making their exit from the playoffs and into their offseason months, he, he was talking about continuity. Continuity. Um, he said the same thing when they didn't make any splash moves at last season's trade deadline, saying we like what we have. We were playing exactly the style of basketball that we want to be playing. And, you know, before Lonzo and Caruso went down, yeah, some people will point to the fact that their record against the other elite teams in the East was uh, was poor, to put it gently. But they still had, uh, you know, a share of the one seed coming into the All-Star break. They were the top seed or close to it in the entire Eastern Conference for the first two-thirds of the season with this group. Um, so, I mean, so much hangs on Lonzo's availability and health to play the bulk of 82 games uh this upcoming season. For what it's worth, my guy Big Dave ran into him when we were at the stadium yesterday, and he just said a quick what's up to Lonzo and said, hey, man, you good? And Lonzo said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. So maybe that means his knee is fine. But, uh, you know, Bulls fans hanging on pins and needles because other than a couple of fringe moves, like I guess Drummond is a slight improvement over Tony Bradley. Maybe Goran Dragic as a vet backup guard has a little bit left in the tank, although he certainly looked washed last year. And I think Bulls fans have a right to be questioning – not AK and Eversley, because by my view, they are very purposefully just under the tax line right now with these very modest moves in, in free agency. And nothing they did really moves the needle. And, uh, you know, you have to think back to when Michael Reinsdorf said in the middle of last season on the record, yeah, absolutely. Look around the league. If you want to be a championship contender, you got to pay the luxury tax and said that he was willing to do so if the Bulls were headed in that direction. Well, if he's seeing a six seed and a first round exit as not quite championship contention and therefore instructed AK and Eversley to stay under the tax this season. The way you get that next step of championship contention from going to good to really good is by paying people, by paying talent to come play and paying your share of the luxury tax. That looks like what's going on right now is that they're ducking it. And I understand both fans are frustrated about that because if they do just run this group back, even if healthy, you know, Maybe a second-round exit instead of a first-round exit, but that, that's about it as far as I see. The important most – I thought Lonzo Ball's injury showed he was an MVP candidate, where they were with him, where they were without him. He should have gotten MVP votes just based on not playing. And the idea that he's going to stay healthy when he has never stayed healthy and is so critical, as you said, between him and Caruso, somebody's got to play defense. And these guys are throwing their bodies around the way they were, which created the injuries. I just think it's a really that's a really hard go, a hard belief for Bulls fans to say we got better. And you watch the rest of the East. Everybody in the East got better. It's scary now, don't you think? It, it very much is. Uh, you're right to point out uh, the importance of Lonzo. You know, when he was out there, along with Caruso, the Bulls uh, were a very strong perimeter defense team. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. They were terrible. And the other thing that they really missed was Lonzo's volume and efficiency behind the three-point line. The Bulls were the lowest volume three-point shooting team in the NBA last season, and uh, nobody could hit a shot. Uh, you know, that you saw that play out in their first-round series against the Bucks. The Bucks dared them to shoot threes. And that the Bulls basically had no other choice but to shoot those threes, and nobody could hit them. So, um, you know, Lonzo is vitally important. And if he's not all the way right for this next season, I think you're going to see uh, a middling team. Because as, as you pointed out, there's really nothing else different about this roster from last year to this year. 
Except that you got to go to Vegas. So, Matt Peck, we appreciate you taking time away from the from the distraction that it is. You rhinestone cowboy, you. Appreciate your time. Of course. Man. Thanks yeah. Thanks for coming on. Look forward to having you again. Hit, uh, hit 23 playing MJ's number on roulette last night, so I'm feeling good. Look at that. You know, <laughs> yeah. All right. Sometime Mike Mulligan will tell you that story. There's there's a whole bunch of, of MJ money stories going on. So we'll save that for another broadcast. Thanks. Appreciate it, Matt. Right. Thank you. All Steve. right, Take Matt, care. Matt Peck of CHGO. A lot of fun. That's good. There's your Bulls Summer League report. It's only Summer League, but it's Summer League, and it's something to talk about. We'll take a break. When we come back, well, there's we're, we're collapsing leagues here. It's going to be the Big Ten which is going to be about 25 teams. And it's going to be the SEC, which is everything else that is of interest. And this is the way the NCAA dies an ugly death. They take all of the... The NCAA is standing there like the Black Knight in Monty Python. She's a flesh wound. And meanwhile, you're quadriplegic. And that's the way the NCAA will be left and deserves to be left. But there's one question about there out there about whither Notre Dave, we'll talk to Pete Futak, College Football News, about that and everything else that just happened. I'm Steve Rosenblum, Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.